1: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Coming up on this episode of The Box of Oddities, did a government-funded experiment unexpectedly lead to time travel?
3: And speaking of experiments, inventors and their lesser-known inventions.
2: The Box of Oddities.
3: If it's weird, we talk about it. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
0: The world is full of stories. Stories of the strange... The Bizarre, The Unexpected. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside The Box of Oddities.
3: (laughs) Wait, did we just start?
0: I think so. (laughs) So I
2: wake up this morning and Kat's already out in the other room and I come out, good morning, and Kat goes, I'm menstruating.
3: Uh Uh-huh. Are we talking about this?
2: And then she said, well, that explains why I was so emotional at the craft store yesterday.
3: (laughs) It's true. I couldn't figure out why I felt so, like, utterly defeated and sad. (laughs) It all makes sense now. It does. It does. Yeah. You
2: were trying to buy some stuff to make your your sister a birthday present, a nice handmade birthday present. Yeah. You came home (laughs) downtrodden and defeated.
3: Yeah. Here's the thing is I've never made anything like this before. And so I don't know um, if the things that I'm picturing in my head actually exist. And if they do <laughs> exist, I don't know what to call them. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how to ask for help. And
2: So what were you consider? What was the vision in your
3: head? Well, I feel like I might still try to make it. So I don't want to say oh, okay. because she, she might be yeah. listening. Okay. And so I'm not going to ruin it. All right. Okay. Hey, 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 no. Okay. Go ahead.
2: Our blanket fort almost collapsed just now. <laughs>
3: We are really, we're in a place today. I think it's just because there's so much going on right now. We are, uh, you know, officially a month yeah. from moving. moving yeah. And uh, it, and I'm also dealing emotionally with the fact that some people are literally upset about the fact that we're moving. And I, I, don't,
2: yeah, I don't understand quite that exactly. understand that. There was, there was one guy left us a comment, um, something to the effect of, they seem to move around a lot. I think they should do some self-reflection. What does that mean exactly? I don't know. Well, okay, fair. We, we have moved a lot in the last two years. We moved from Bangor to Orlando, and then we moved to a different apartment uh, a year later, uh, later in Orlando. And now we're going to uh, Ecuador. Here's the thing prior to that we lived in the same house for 11 years yeah
3: and i lived in maine for 40 years so (laughs) i i think this is fine and also and i brought this up during our last zoom meeting with the uh order of freaks yeah if we had the money to like keep our house in maine and also do all the things that that we wanted to do like travel and explore and all that absolutely we would have but i don't have the means to maintain a home in Maine while I'm exploring the world. And I'm so sorry about that. I wish I had more money for you. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I just, the armchair psychology there. I, I don't really understand, self-reflecting. self I don't know, right?
3: and I know I'm probably more upset about it than I should be because I am, as we've previously right, discussed, yeah. in a state.
2: And unable to find the crafting supplies. <laughs> that you needed yesterday.
3: But I just I don't know. I just like be nicer, please. That's all. <laughs> Stop being so mean. <laughs> and help me find the brass rings that I'm looking for.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I did learn that um, the little tiny metal rings that connect small rings to larger rings are called jump rings. Uh, So I did learn that. And and for that, I am grateful. So
2: it wasn't a total
3: loss. It wasn't. No, I did learn something. That's good. Yay.
2: And so now that you're feeling a little better about that, uh, you'll be in a better frame of mind to self-reflect on why you move so much.
3: You know, uh, maybe you don't move enough. That's all
2: (laughs) I'm saying. Cat's in a state today.
3: (laughs) Are you going to go first, or am I going to go
2: first? I would like to go first, if that's okay. That's fine. I remember reading um, a book by Charles Berlitz called The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility, years ago and uh, just being captivated by it. And it still captivates me today.
3: I love that you just said you remember reading a book from years ago. And we just this morning discussed how I found a book and I was like, oh, I should read this. (laughs) And I realized that I had read it in February and I had no recollection of reading it at all. We have very different brains.
2: (laughs) The Philadelphia Experiment is something that I've been reluctant to do because there are so many stories of alleged consequences and results, Mm -hmm. uh, some that didn't come to light until decades later. Right. It's truly a rabbit hole that you can get lost in.
3: Yeah, there's so many different arms to it.
2: So today I'm going to tell you the story of the event itself and try not to deviate too much from that. Now please understand, and for those of you who who maybe have delved into the Philadelphia Experiment, this is not going to be a comprehensive look at it. Sure. I'll do the best I can.
3: We don't have time for that.
2: It's really more of a primer. Here we go. The Philadelphia Experiment allegedly was conducted in October of 1943. Allegedly. It's one of the most controversial stories of military history. The experiment, it was mysterious, and it involved the U.S. Navy's attempt to render the USS Eldridge, which was a naval destroyer escort, invisible to radar detection. And ultimately, it led, allegedly, to an incident of teleportation and time travel. Mm. The experiment, as it was initially conceived, was not an attempt at that. They weren't trying to teleport anybody or time travel. It was to come up with um, stealth technology to create a cloak of invisibility, if you will. At the height of World War II, the US Navy was seeking technological advances to gain an upper hand on the battlefield, and one such advantage was the possibility of making a warship invisible to the enemy's radar systems. Are
3: we still working on this? Because I'm still pro-invisibility.
2: Oh, I'm definitely (laughs) pro-invisibility. In a lot of ways, we have mastered that, This was an early attempt at stealth technology, which, of course, in a very different form, we employ today with, like, the B-2 stealth bombers. You can see them with your eyes, but you can't see them with the radar. Now, this idea was supposedly based on Einstein's unified field theory. It's a theory which was never completed or published. He died before he was able to do that. It's the theoretical framework aimed to consolidate gravity and electromagnetism into a single cohesive theory. And the unified field theory was the keystone to understanding to the understanding of modern quantum physics today it was set to resolve the inconsistencies between the theory of relativity and quantum physics.
3: You've been on a real quantum physics kick lately. I'm
2: always on a quantum physics kick.
3: I know, but it, you do tend to ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Like you're mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna be obsessed with quantum physics for three months. And yeah, that's fair. Now it's East Coast woodland cryptids.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so applying this groundbreaking concept, the experiment tried to use intense electromagnetic fields to bend light around an object, effectively rendering it invisible, in this case a battleship. So the phenomenon of manipulating light waves was called refraction, and the USS Eldridge, which was a cannon-class destroyer escort was allegedly chosen for the experiment.
3: Now, do we know if they ever tried like physical methods to do this, like using mirrors and such,
2: or? Oh, sure, yeah, and, and different painting designs on the sides of mm-hmm. ships. And
3: I do remember the painting designs thing, but I just saw a thing about a magician's trick where they make a woman's head seem to disappear mm-hmm. using mirrors you, and you, such, yeah, right. and I just feel like maybe mirrors would be effective, especially like on the water. Everything's all blurry and goofy anyway. Technical terms. is
2: (laughs) Blurry and goofy. Yeah. The Eldridge was reportedly fitted, not with mirrors, but with a complex arrangement of cables and generators that were designed to produce a very strong electromagnetic field around the vessel. The basic idea behind the experiment was to envelop the USS Eldridge, with a bubble of refracted light. If successful, the ship would remain perceptible to those who are on board and close by, but would be invisible to any distant observer, especially with radar systems. Mm. The light from behind the ship would have been, this is the concept, the light from behind the ship would be bent around it and continue in its original direction, giving the illusion that the ship wasn't there at all. This would provide a huge strategic advantage, certainly back in World War II. Sure. And it would allow the Navy vessels to pass undetected by enemy forces. So that was the original intent of the Philadelphia experiment. It would have been a huge stride forward in military technology. However, the stories that emerged from that alleged experiment suggest an entirely unexpected and significantly more alarming outcome.
3: Okay, I feel like this is a a great moment to pause because it feels like you're really launching into something like exciting and and interesting. Hopefully. Um, I'm going to get some more coffee. Hold Mm -hmm. on.
0: So
2: here's what happened as the story goes. Thank you. The day of the experiment, the crew is on board the USS Eldridge. They activated the electromagnetic equipment on the USS Eldridge, the ship did not become invisible to the naked eye and radar systems, but it was reported to have totally vanished completely from the dock in Philadelphia's naval shipyard. The ship then instantaneously appeared at the naval base in Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles away. Mm. Witnesses in Norfolk reported seeing the Eldridge materialize out of thin air only to disappear a few minutes later. Simultaneous observers in Philadelphia claimed the ship rematerialized at its original location as abruptly as it had vanished. These reports uh, suggest that the USS Eldridge had not only become invisible, but had been physically transported or teleported from Philadelphia to Norfolk and back again in a matter of minutes.
3: Now, was Captain Daly on board?
2: <laughs> yeah. Maybe our binging the show Manifest on Netflix led me to this uh, <laughs> to this topic. Yeah. And here's something that kind of fits in with the whole Manifest uh, television series. What added To the whole complicated nature of this situation, some accounts stated that the Eldridge was not due in Norfolk for several days after the experiment was conducted. And so this implies that the ship did not merely teleport through space, but also traveled forward in time.
3: I mean, if it was the time thing, then it wouldn't necessarily have also had to travel through space, just time. So, I mean, that's hard to... to Kind of wrap your head around it is. because
2: because we think of time as being linear.: That's right and it's not. But things turned horrific once the Eldridge reappeared in uh, Philadelphia in the Navy shipyard. According to the narratives, the impact of the crew of the USS Eldridge was nothing short of horrific. The alleged side effects of the experiment were as unexpected and distressing as I'm sure the actual experience of being teleported itself. This was the part in the book that I read years ago that just really blew my mind, Um, and it's probably one of the more gruesome accounts about the crew members. When the ship rematerialized, allegedly some of the crew members found themselves partially embedded within the ship's structure.
3: So the molecular bits of the ship and the people kind of got a little little mishmashy during the... Teleportation?
2: It was described as people being fused to the metal, mm. as if the ship had rematerialized around them. That is some nightmare them, material. Yeah. Right there. And, and some of them were dead, but some of them were still alive, right. embedded in the metal. And the theory is that uh, it suggests, some people say, this could have been a result of the warping of space-time, causing matter to occupy the same space at the same time. Mm. Other crew members, meanwhile, supposedly vanished altogether. Some never came back, some were never seen again, as if they were erased from existence, while others were said to have phased in and out of visibility, caught in limbo between dimensions.
3: Now this is one of those things that I don't necessarily buy, Mm -hmm. but I still very much don't like.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. I thought I'd throw a little Shakespeare in there to fancy this story up a bit.
3: Is it because I threw some Voltaire at you this morning?
2: Oh, I hate it when you throw Voltaire at me. <laughs> in addition to the physical horrors, psychological trauma was reportedly rampant among the survivors. Many were said to have gone insane, perhaps unable to comprehend what their experience was. Uh, reports of post-traumatic stress disorder, severe anxiety, and other mental health issues were prevalent
3: if this were to have happened i believe that those things would be inevitable
2: there were also claims that the crew experienced anomalies within time following the experiment some sailors reportedly lived out several minutes hours or even days in a matter of seconds before abruptly returning to the present time these time slips of course added fuel to the story that the Philadelphia Experiment had somehow inadvertently achieved time travel. Mm. Now, this is one of the rabbit holes that I mentioned in the beginning. I'm not going to get too deeply into this. It's been alleged that the Philadelphia Experiment is connected to what's now known as the Montauk Project that happened decades later.
3: Like Montauk, New
2: York? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: Didn't you talk about some sort of weird experiment that happened on... Yeah. Montauk.
2: A lot of different things allegedly happened on Montauk, and there are conspiracies and theories about you know secret projects, MK Ultra. Mm-hmm. Probably what you're thinking of is the uh, conspiracy theory that they were working on some sort of insect carried <sighs> biological yes. uh, weapon yep. that escaped, um, and we now recognize it as Lyme disease. That's right. There was a guy named Alfred Bialik,
3: like Mayan Bialik. Kind of.
2: Now, Alfred Bialik claimed to be a survivor of the Philadelphia experiment. He said that uh, when the ship disappeared and was in hyperspace, he jumped off the ship and ended up in the future in Montauk, where they were conducting, in the present day, or in the 70s and 80s, time travel experimentation. What? He alleged that he spent several years in the 1980s before being sent back to his original time, 1940s. So basically what he's saying is that this, this was a mistake mm-hmm. that, was ha- that happened in the 1940s. They inadvertently time-traveled, but experimentation on this technology continued as the Montauk project, and so he jumped overboard in the 40s, and in the 80s, Montauk caught him.
3: How did, how, so how did he get back to the 40s?
2: Technology that they had developed in the 70s and 80s at Montauk.
3: So he claims that people in a lab in Montauk, after years of being stuck in the '80s, sent it back. Sent him back. Yeah,
2: the Montauk Project, said to have taken place at Montauk Air Force Station in Long Island, New York, reportedly began in the early '80s, late '70s, early '80s. It's believed by some. To have been a continuation of or a resurrection of the original Philadelphia experiment. The theories go that the U.S. government continued to conduct secret experiments involving psychological warfare techniques, time travel, and interdimensional travel.
3: I mean, if we're talking about time not being linear once again, mm-hmm. it's possible that the 70s, 80s Montauk project is what initiated the Philadelphia situation. I love that theory. But again, I'm. So this man, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, this man claims that he lived in the 80s for a period. And when did he claim this? As soon as he got back to the 40s or later or?
2: I'm not sure exactly the timeline of that. Uh, I know that he was uh, interviewed several times in the 80s. But I don't know if there's any indication that he talked about it leading up to it. So that would have been great to have that.
3: Well, on yeah, because that would be some way to prove anything. But this is just like I mean, you can't you can't be like, forty years ago, I knew that this is what the mm-hmm. '80s were going to be like. He he couldn't have been you know if in the '40s he had been like, you know what's going to be crazy, Lisa Frank and Coke, and <laughs> absolutely. I would have been like, you you're on board, dude. But
2: I will go on a deeper dive on this because I'm not sure exactly, and, and again, rabbit trails, Yeah, right?
3: I've got so many questions. The connection between the two projects
2: was largely popularized by a guy named Preston Nichols. He claimed that uh, he had involvement in the Montauk project. Um, Nichols wrote several books on, this, on the subject. In these books, he claimed the U.S. government conducted mind control and time travel experiments at the Montauk. Air Force Base. Again, this is completely separate from what Alfred Bialik was saying. Okay. He also asserted that the USS Eldridge was pulled into hyperspace and trapped there during the original Philadelphia experiment, and that it was the Montauk Project that finally brought it back. Now, it's funny you mentioned Manifest and Netflix. It's said that the Montauk Project served as inspiration for the Netflix series, Stranger Things.
3: Oh, that makes perfect sense.
2: It sure do. Now, we can't have a conspiracy without a good cover-up. And uh, the story of the Philadelphia experiment is not just about what supposedly happened, but what happened after the event itself. Of course. According to some theories, a huge government cover-up was undertaken to suppress the truth of the experiment and its aftermath. Uh, The U.S. Navy allegedly acted swiftly following the results of the experiment. Allegedly, all official documents, logs, records related to the event were either destroyed or classified with uh, anybody involved sworn to secrecy under the threat of treason.
3: One of the reasons that I doubt these allegations and this kind of thing is because I do not believe that the government would shy away from straight up murdering people who had details and (laughs) intel on this kind of goings on. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that they would take any, I don't think that would be outside of the realm of possibilities that they would just be like, okay, well, we're just gonna like sink this ship and uh, bye guys. Yeah. You know, I just don't think that they would leave those people out there to tell the story. And you can't just like say, oh, well we swore them to secrecy and I, I don't buy it.
2: Some accounts say the surviving crew members were discharged from service and they were given new identities to protect the secrecy of the project. And there were also rumors of memory wiping techniques that were being developed at the time.
3: Men in Black style.
2: Men in Black kind of thing. And even institutionalization of those who continued to speak about their experiences. They said, ah, oh, these guys are crazy. And they would just lock them up in a, in a mental health facility.
3: Oh, okay, that makes sense too.
2: The primary source of the Philadelphia experiment story comes from a series of letters written by a man named Carlos Alande, also known as Carl Allen. He wrote these to the U.S. Navy's Office of Naval Research Hollande claimed to have witnessed the Eldridge's disappearance from a nearby ship and provided elaborate details about the event and how Einstein's unified theory was involved in the experimentation. The Navy has consistently denied all allegations of the Philadelphia experiment. Mm -hmm. According to the official statements, the USS Eldridge was not in Philadelphia, but in Brooklyn on the day the experiment was supposed to have occurred. The Navy also stated that Einstein's unified theory was never taken seriously by the scientific community. Mm. (laughs) Mm. So while the mainstream scientific community largely dismisses these events as implausible, there are some elements that continue to fuel speculation and belief in the event's possible reality. First, the fact that the experiment was supposedly based on Einstein's unified theory. Although never completed or officially published, it lends a certain degree of scientific grounding to the story. And let's not forget that it was Einstein E equals MC squared that was the foundation for splitting the atom. So the government was familiar with Einstein's work and Uh, they were using it. Sure, sure, sure. Weaponizing it, if you will. Secondly, the Navy's alleged use of the then classified technology of degaussing. Now that's a process of decreasing or eliminating a remnant magnetic field, and it lends more credibility to the idea that the military was indeed experimenting with electromagnetic fields Mm. at that time. While degaussing is a far cry from teleportation or time travel, it does suggest an interest in electromagnetic field manipulation by the U.S. government during World War II. Mm. In addition, The various accounts do consistently recount a similar set of events. The persistence of the story over several decades, despite rigorous attempts to debunk it, suggests a level of detail and narrative consistency that continues to intrigue researchers. Mm. People's stories change over time. And they're saying that even though it's been decades and many people have talked about it since then, The stories remained consistent. And finally, the alleged government cover-up in the U.S. Navy's categorical denial of the experiment could be interpreted as an attempt to hide the truth. The fact that they're saying it didn't happen doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen. Maybe it happened in a different way. The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Now, clearly, this this does not confirm the experiment's reality. But in my mind, it does. Until definitive proof emerges, the Philadelphia experiment's gonna remain a fascinating mystery residing in the dark fringes of the scientific community and my mind.
3: I will say the mental picture that humans being fused with a warship is horrifying. It
2: certainly is. My source information, uh, the Philadelphia experiment by David Clark, The Conspiracy Meme by Ted and Ben Gortzel. Anatomy of a Hoax, The Philadelphia Experiment 50 Years Later by Jacques Vallée. The Paranormal and the Sacred, Authors of the Impossible, Jeffrey Cripple. And of course, The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility by Charles Berlitz. It does nicely tie in with with Manifest though, I've got to say.
3: It absolutely does.
2: This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca.
3: And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them.
2: Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. At checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer.
0: And now, that thing in the middle.
3: Well, tomorrow's date night, and we're going to Disney Springs, see a movie, have some dinner, maybe some ice cream.
2: And so in preparation for that event, today's thing in the middle, the weirdest salt and straw ice cream flavors.
3: Number five, strawberry honey balsamic with black pepper. I've actually tried this one. How was it? It's weird.
2: Number four, Oregon ham soft serve in a dip shell of Oregon black raspberry.
3: Mmm. Meat soft serve. Number three, a collaboration with the salty donut, guava and cheese ice cream. Number
2: two, pear and blue cheese, West Coast exclusive. So. We won't be getting that.
3: I guess not. And number one of the weirdest salt and straw ice cream flavors, black olive brittle and goat cheese. I'm getting that. Sarah commented on Facebook, we just had our first boo effect, Riding to New Orleans this morning and Box 541 comes on, talking about the New Orleans casket girls. Mm. Yeah. Also super jealous that you're in New Orleans, by the way.
2: Hey Kat and JG just listening to Box 253 and JG said he was glad he didn't die in Victorian times, so that they didn't carve him up like a ham if his family couldn't get the money together in seven days. Mm. And in my twisted freak brain tubicles, I thought, but what if you did die in that era and was reincarnated? I wonder if I had a nice burial or was I used to try to figure out what spleens are for. <laughs> um, anyway, you guys are great. Thanks for keeping my shifts positive and upbeat in between ER patients. Ooh. Wow.
0: Flying my
2: freak flag in da-da-da-da-da-da. Louisiana
3: (gasps) kooky Laura writes just a little point on the observer effect the way we observe subatomic particles is by smashing stuff into them so yes it does change their behavior that's why we can either know where something is or what direction it's traveling in if we know what direction it's traveling in we don't know where it is because if we were to look where it is we would have to smash something into it and change the direction it's traveling in
2: Mm. (laughs) mmm yeah you're dipping your toes in the entanglement theory. Ah, <laughs> uh, we don't have time for that.
1: Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more, And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: If this podcast smells funny to you or shows small cracks around the edges, throw it out immediately, spit thrice, and soak your hands in iodine it may be past its freshness date. This is The Box of Oddities. So
3: weird, because this morning, as I usually do, I ask the Echo to tell me what happened on this day in history. It's one of my favorite things that I can do with Mm -hmm. the Echo. Uh, That and song quiz. And one of the things that happened on this day in history was Ben Franklin's historic kite flying experiment, or or one version of it. And I thought that was really interesting because I'm going to start off my story today with some Ben Franklin. Your own personal boo effect. It kind of is. You know how you always call me guest experience cat like mm-hmm. when we're out and about right. I'm constantly going, "You know what would make this place better or you know what they should have mm-hmm. or I feel like this would improve this situation if," mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, constantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's very annoying. I'm sorry. And I love you. Please don't leave me. <laughs> Well, we've talked about Ben Franklin, as I mentioned, well-known air bather. As a scientist, he was best known for his experiments with electricity.
2: And by the way, air bather—that's a reference to the fact that Ben Franklin believed that uh, that was a healthy thing to do was to sit completely naked in an open window and air bathe. Yeah, that's I how... think he was just an exhibitionist.
3: <laughs> it's possible
2: he just wanted people to see his walking stick.
3: But did you know that Benjamin Franklin, in addition to all of his other incredible things, <laughs> also invented the mechanical bull?
2: You mean the urban cowboy craze from the early 80s?
3: Yeah. So it's said that in one incident, Benjamin Franklin convinced John Adams to ride one of his early mechanical bull <laughs> prototypes. Now, the mental picture that this brings up is incredible i'm picturing white fluffy wigs flopping everywhere yeah but franklin perfected the device in 1783.
2: what was the purpose of it just as an amusement
3: Unclear. Maybe it was like a practice thing. You know, if you wanted to become a bull rider, this would give you the opportunity to practice. What, I, was I don't bull know. Bull riding big. You know,
2: I in, don't in know. In colonial America. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but apparently, his first version of it was steam powered, and that led to far too much sweating. And <laughs> <it wasn't laughs>
2: a steam powered mechanical bull.
3: Yeah, and when John Adams rode the prototype, it led to severe burns on his buttocks.
0: Oh. So. Um,
3: didn't work out very well. But later, huge success. So I say it was a success for you as well, Ben. Great job. I still don't understand it, but great job.
2: (laughs) I never would have thought of Ben Franklin as the father of the steam-powered mechanical bull.
3: (laughs) I thought it would be fun today to take a look at some famous inventors, lesser known inventions. Perfect. Nikola Tesla, one of our favorites. In 1898, Nikola Tesla, best known for his enthusiasm for pigeons, was invited to be a part of an electrical exhibition. It was being held in Madison Square Garden in New York. The audience watched as Tesla, next to a pool of water, scootled about a four-foot-long boat powered by a battery and could be remote-controlled. Wow. Using radio signals, Tesla was able to manipulate the boat's rudder, propeller, and lights. What year was this? 1898.
2: So he had invented radio-controlled boats.
3: Yeah. The crowd, as you can imagine, was blown away. And the next day, it was front page news. Now, you can't go anywhere without a drone swooping by you, (laughs) but this was huge. Tesla had set forth a new age of robotics and control of robots by radio waves. Very cool. Not just a bird guy. (laughs) Alexander Graham Bell, Scottish-born inventor, scientist, engineer, widely recognized as the person who patented the first functional telephone. Well, on July 2nd, 1881, President James A. Garfield was shot in the back by an assassin as he entered a train station in D.C. The president's physician, William Bliss, was obsessed with probing Garfield's wound in order to extract the bullet from his body. Alexander Graham Bell aimed to facilitate the bullet removal for Bliss by creating a device that could locate the bullet, a.k.a. a metal detector. Wow. During his telephone project, Bell discovered that metal objects produce a sound in the phone receiver when brought near to the device. So he subsequently collaborated with William Tainter and other inventors to develop a primitive metal detector. He tested the detector by firing rounds into various objects and then sorting them out with the the metal detector. Hmm. And also searching for bullets left in Civil War victims. Oh, wow. Wow. On July 26, he attempted to use his induction balance device to locate a bullet for the first time. There were some issues with interference, and so Belly went back into the shop and worked out the kinks before going back to the White House on August 1st to try to find this bullet embedded in our then-president. Again, he was unsuccessful, but not because the machine didn't work. The machine did work, but... The president's physician, Bliss, was convinced that the bullet was located somewhere on the right side of Garfield's torso, and he refused to entertain any notions to the contrary.
2: Yeah, I've read some things about Bliss. He did no favors to the former president.
3: Nuh-uh. So even though Alexander Graham Bell had this machine that could have, in theory, found the bullet and made it possible to be removed, It wasn't until after the president's body was autopsied that they found that the bullet had lodged in the left side of Garfield's chest, exactly the opposite of where Bliss allowed Bell to search, Hmm. which I can't imagine how that would benefit anyone. No, no, just this side. Why? How? Why? He didn't want to
2: be wrong. He wanted to be the president's physician, and he was protecting that, much to the chagrin of the president.
3: By the way, Dr. Gerard Fisher, the engineer inventor, was actually the first to obtain a patent for the electrical metal detector, founded Fisher Research Labs in 1931. Hmm. But I thought that was a really interesting story. I didn't even know that those two were connected in that way. Henry Ford was obviously the founder of Ford Motor Company and most famously the chief developer of the assembly line technique of mass production. George Washington Carver was an agricultural scientist and inventor best known for his work done at an industrial research lab where he worked tirelessly on the development of applications for plants. The two men worked together for several years to devise a novel use for soybeans. The soybean car what yeah it was a plastic bodied car unveiled by Henry Ford at Dearborn days in 1941 Henry wished to make a new plastic material that was safer and lighter that was a replacement for the metals used in normal cars okay the soybean car was made with 14 panels of plastic that had been created out of soybean and other crops though some debate that the panels were actually largely petroleum-based. Ford presented his collaboration with George Washington Carver, the soybean car, in 1941, but World War II interrupted its momentum and it never gained traction after.
2: I have a hard time believing that it would withstand safety crash regulations. You don't know.
3: Plants are very strong. Plants make strong.
2: I just picture putting a couple of crash test dummies in the soybean car and then ramming it 70 miles per hour into a pylon. Mm-hmm. Instead of twisted steel wreckage, it's a delicious salad.
3: It wasn't like they just blended up a bunch of soybeans and then mashed it together and it's made like a they panel. Were,
2: they were, <laughs> essentially, they were driving a falafel.
3: George Washington Carver, while we're on the subject, uh, realizing that extensive cotton farming in the South was causing soil depletion and erosion and impoverishment of black farmers, he focused his efforts on researching natural fertilizers and techniques to restore soil nutrients, such as crop rotation. And in addition, he encouraged the cultivation of alternate crops like sweet potatoes and peanuts. The more ways that he could find for these crops to be used, um, he felt the more successful this push would be. So he went to work finding as many uses for peanuts and then sweet potatoes as possible. At Tuskegee, Carver published a bulletin titled How to Grow the Peanut and 105 Ways of Preparing It for Human Consumption. He wanted to promote the various uses and recipes for peanuts. He later claimed to have a mental catalog of more than 300 uses for peanuts. He did the same thing with sweet potatoes. And that's when Carver came up with sweet potato vinegar, sweet potato molasses, a synthetic rubber made of sweet potatoes.
2: (laughs) So in theory, you could have a soybean auto body and a set of sweet potato tires.
3: (laughs) And A sweet potato postage stamp glue. George Washington Carver's postage stamp glue invention was made in the early 1900s. He created this glue made from sweet potatoes and used it to make a paste for postage stamps. The glue was actually really successful and was used by the U.S. Postal Service for a time, but it was eventually replaced by other adhesives. Fun fact, George Washington Carver was later honored by a three-cent Red violet stamp issued in 1948. He then had a second stamp issued in his honor in 1998. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool that he created this postage stamp glue and then was honored on a stamp. And also, stamps are neat. And they stopped selling the dinosaur ones that I like very much. And it made me sad. And every time I go, I'm like, Do you have the dinosaur stamps? Mm. And they mm. say, No, but we've got these. And I'm like, I don't care about those.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm nerd. No. You're a stamp nerd. No, I'm not. Next thing, you're going to be driving around in a falafel car.
3: <laughs> Thomas Edison. Like, you know, he did a lot of stuff. What would you say Thomas Edison's most famous invention is? He
2: did so many things, but I would have to say the incandescent light bulb.
3: Um, Well done. That's that's probably what I would have said, too. But did you know that Thomas Edison also made a ghost detector?
2: I did, actually.
3: You did? Yeah. Tell me everything. Well,
2: I don't remember all the details. I just remember that uh, that was something he was experimenting with. It was kind of an offshoot of uh, motion picture research. Or, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't remember.
3: Edison said, I have been at work for some time building an apparatus to see if it is possible for personalities which have left this earth to communicate with us.
2: Tesla. a lot of experiments on that too yes
3: thomas edison though really branched out he was trying all kinds of different things not just a ghost detector he was working on an electric pen
2: was that made out of sweet potatoes no then i want no part of it
3: edison also crafted not out of sweet potatoes edison's phonograph doll it was a children's toy designed so that you could have a dolly that you could talk to. And with the technology that they had at the time, you can imagine what it sounded like. Do you want to hear it? I'm um, okay. Oh
0: my God. Holy shit.
3: It's, uh, it's the worst thing <laughs> I can
1: imagine. Holy shit.
3: Also, is that just Thomas Edison going, I praise the Lord my salt <laughs> Yee. Stop it. Stop it now.
0: <laughs> Apparently,
3: this... I'm closing it up. Yeah, please. Um, Sorry. It, apparently, they didn't last very long because the mechanisms that were used inside the dolls were easily damaged. Right. Um, and also, children found it terrifying.
2: <laughs> yeah. They were scarred for generations after that.
3: Yeah. So, uh, not as successful in the long term, though the project itself was successful. Mm-hmm. Not so successful as a sellable item. Commercial. So, yeah. Commodity. Yeah. Yeah. I got my information from How Stuff Works, NPS.gov, the National Postal Museum, Tesla Society, Mental Floss, and Interesting Engineering. Fantastic. I love that stuff. Yeah.
2: You talked about Edison's research into communicating with the dead, and I mentioned that Tesla did the same thing. And oftentimes people forget that Tesla. And Edison worked together. Mm. In fact, when Tesla got to the United States, the first thing he did was petition Edison for a job, and then he branched out on his
3: own. Making Mark Twain poop himself.
2: Yep. It's a fact. Look it up.
3: Or you can just reference episode, whatever it was. Yeah,
2: whatever it was. Easier. I think we
3: actually called it Mark Twain's skid marks, so it should be pretty easy to figure right. out which okay. one that is. Yeah.
2: Good enough. <laughs> Love you guys. So glad you're hanging out with us. If you uh, would be so kind as to share this with uh, some of your freak friends, share the podcast with your freak friends, help us grow the podcast. Uh, We, of course, would be so, so grateful.
3: But we thank you so much for your support and kind words.
2: Cat's very emotional today.
3: I just love you guys.
2: TheBoxOfOddities.com is a place where you can find all kinds of Box of Oddities-related stuff, and we'll see you next time.
3: Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And
0: fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask three things and three things only. The Box of on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast. On Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.
1: History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.